they've put some structures and practices in place that really keep me grounded in like a full rounded life. So I don't ever feel like, um, like music is it, you know, and if that falls through, then, you know, I'm a worthless human and nothing else is going to move forward in my life. So that, but that took a long time to learn to get to that. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Brie Noble. Brie is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Brie's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Brie is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, hey, this is Brie Noble, and you are tuned in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. Now, today's guest is Cassandra Kabinsky, and if you went to the Profitable Musicians Summit back in May, she was one of our guests talking about crowdfunding. She was introduced to me by Ariel Hyatt as giving some impressions on the artist side of crowdfunding and her experience with that. And I just loved her story so much and wanted to help promote her on this show because she's so focused on helping women in music. She is the global co-chair of membership for women in music, and she's actually the reason that I joined the organization. On top of her crowdfunding experience, she's got some amazing stories about her artist career And a great answer to my question that I always ask artists about a time that they wanted to give up on music and how they pushed through. I think you're going to really love her answer to this question, and um, maybe you'll identify with it yourself. So I'll tell you a little bit about Cassandra Kabinsky in a minute, but first of all, here's some information on our sponsor for this show. This episode of The Female Entrepreneur Musician is brought to you in part by Muddy Paw PR. Through their highly personalized public relations campaigns for DIY artists, they've secured placements on Alternative Press, Substream, New Noise, and more, with their artists going on to play festivals like Warped Tour, So What, and gain licensing deals and regular rotation in stores like Starbucks and Hollister. Find out more at MuddyPawPR.com. Here's a little information about Cassandra Kabinsky. Singer-songwriter Cassandra Kabinsky has released six albums, including the Billboard Heat Seeker charting EPs Holiday Magic and Onward. In her globetrotting career, she's recorded and or performed alongside the Goo Goo Dolls, 10,000 Maniacs, Chris Botti, Lady Gaga, and Lana Del Rey, has had dozens of sync placements on TV shows, and served as band leader and music director for the Emmy-nominated live streaming show, Never Settle Show. She is also the global co-chair of membership for Women in Music. Here is my interview with Cassandra Kabinsky. So that's a little bit about Cassandra Kabinsky. So Cassandra, is there anything that's not in the little bio that I read for you that's maybe a little more personal, a little more unique about you that you think our listeners should know? Hmm. Personal and unique. Well, I think um, a little quick background. I'm from uh, Northern Connecticut and um, 
I've been living in the New York area for about 15 years. I also, besides music, I really, really love uh, yoga and got certified as a yoga instructor back in 2010. So I have like a really regular practice of um, yoga, which I, which I use, actually use very much to kind of ground me and keep me in, in like, you know, my passion and in like my own energy for my music career. So that's, I don't know. That's that's a little something extra. <laughs> no, I think that's good. I think we often need that thing that keeps us grounded when we're musicians because we can kind of be all over the place, right? Definitely. Yeah, <laughs> no <many> doubt. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, how did you get started in music? Um, well, I started out in musical theater, actually. So when I was a kid, I sang... I was just like singing all the time. And my mom wanted to find a place for me to sing outside of the house so that she wouldn't have to listen to me sing in the house so much. And um, she found this community theater and she had my sister and I audition for a community theater production of Annie, the show Annie. Mm. So we ended up doing this show and then doing like bunches of other uh, shows in the general Northern Connecticut, Eastern Massachusetts area. And that led weirdly and serendipitously into me playing the role of Annie at a professional theater called the Goodspeed Opera House um, when I was 12 and 13. So that was my first professional job was actually singing in a theater show. Wow. That's awesome. I just saw Annie actually a few weeks ago in our (laughs) little tiny little, you know, golden chain theater, but the girl who played Annie was amazing. And it just made me think like, wow, I may be talking to her someday in, in 20, right? <laughs> you know, so you never know. Yeah, that's crazy. That's true. So at this point, do you consider yourself a full-time musician and are you making most of your money from music or are there kind of some side hustles that you have or even maybe related to music side hustles? So I do make my full living in entertainment. It's not all music driven. Some of it is in voiceover, which is an area that I got into about uh, five or six years ago, really heavily. So I've been working as a a union voiceover actor um, since then. And that's really kind of crisscrossed and merged in with my music career. And the people I've met in music have sometimes um, ended up being helpful for things in voiceover and people I've met in studios and producers from the voiceover world sometimes end up offering opportunities in music. So it's kind of like a nice synergistic thing. And I, you know, I still think of it as a side hustle, but it's at this moment. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I spend most of my time pursuing and working on music, but voiceover does bring in some of the money. No, I love that this is this is true because, you know, as you know, I had you on the Profitable Musician Summit talking about crowdfunding, but we had someone talking about voiceover and being a professional voiceover artist. And I just, I felt like there was so much synergy in that for musicians because we work hard on our voice and, you know, really producing it well and having the kind of equipment you could even do that from home. And so I love hearing that you are actually kind of doing that as a part of your whole career. And I do think it's something that I mean, it's not easy to get into. I think it's, you got to have connections and you got to work hard at it, but it's a great add-on or combination that you can put as a musician. And a lot of the same people, like you said, like there's some networking that's involved with that and, you know, how you can kind of utilize your contacts in both of the areas to, to work together. So I love that you, you said that, and I know you've been in some, you know, pretty well-known commercials, which I think is, is awesome. Everyone should look her up and see what she's been in. <laughs> but um, we have a lot of 
struggling artists listening to this show that are maybe just starting out or in the early years of their career, and you've been doing this for a while, is there a time that you can tell them about that you just felt like this isn't working, I'm frustrated, I'm hitting a wall, maybe I should give up? And what allowed you to push through that and continue and, you know, maybe what they can, they can learn from your experiences there? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I feel like when, when you ask that question, I think, wow, like if I could just stack up all the times that I wanted to quit. You know, <laughs> yeah, like, I get some um, people answering that like, yeah, every day I go through that. Right, right. The, the cycle. Um, it has, I haven't lately, I think because I've put some structures and practices in place that really keep me grounded in like a full rounded life. So I don't ever feel like like music is it, you know, and if that falls through, then, you know, I'm a worthless human and nothing else is going to move forward in my life. So that, but that took a long time to learn to get to that place. So let's see a time when I wanted to quit. Mm. Oh, you know what? Okay. This is the time. So in 2008, I, um, I was working with a manager, like a, you know, a pretty good manager. And uh, we had labels coming out to my shows in New York and we were working on getting me signed and, you know, going down the sort of traditional path Mm of get signed, form a team, really work on, you know, putting out a single and, and making it a hit and, you know, rising to that sort of like fame status. And um, I was in a really very difficult place in my personal life and breaking up with, person who up until that time had been the love of my life. And I was just feeling very young and not ready to commit to that longer, longer term relationship. So it was like a really difficult personal time. Then some issues arose with the manager. And so all this is happening, like while while I'm experiencing some of the um, the greatest movement in my career and like having finally like label people are coming out and coming to the shows and you know, looking at me as an artist, but my kind of personal life was sort of falling apart. So the upshot of that was all that in the summer, I kind of just quit. Like I really sort of just dropped out of it all. Like I had broken up with the boyfriend. I was like just crushed from that. And the manager and I dissolved our relationship and that was the right thing to do, but, but felt like a failure, you know, and just Mm. felt like it really sucked. And, um, and I just, I don't remember thinking about music in that time as like, like I didn't, I didn't feel so much sad that it was, that it seemed like it wasn't going to move forward so much as I was like, I just literally don't know what to do with myself. Like, what would I do going forward? So I just went home. I went back to Connecticut and I hung out in my parents' house and, um, and I remember distinctly sitting on the back porch on some lovely summer day and thinking, you know what? I'm not going to make it up. Like, I'm not going to decide what I'm doing next. I'm going to, uh, you know, let go and let God, as they say. And uh, I'm just going to sit here and listen. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to listen for like, what is the move? And um, it's remarkable when you are actually willing to open yourself to internal knowing. I call it universal or spiritual guidance. But I think just generally, you know, that bigger consciousness uh, that we're all tapped into if we choose to be. And it was very quick, like, like in that session of sitting out on the back porch, I got this message that was like, well, all right, whip out a piece of paper and on one side of it, write down the things that you have done in your career so far 
that have been the most fun. And then in the next column, write down the things that have made you the most money and see where they intersect and go with that. And that's pretty much what I did, which is how I sort of ended up transitioning into working in the jingle and voiceover world, or at least adding that to the picture. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that was really, and there, you know, there's certainly the story continued from there, but in that very moment, that was really like, I remember being like, I actually don't care if I, uh, if I continue in music. Oh, oh my gosh. And I forgot a whole other piece of that story (laughs) was that also at that time, like in that time period was the time when, when Billy Joel found my music online and reached out to me and I met him and he was, uh, not in a great place personally himself after a divorce and his dog was sick and like he wasn't in a really great place. So it was just a very weird mind trip to meet like basically, you know, one of my musical idols and heroes of, of songwriting and have him kind of be like, uh, you know, I like what you do, but you know, I can't really help you, man. Like, I don't know anybody, you know, it was such <laughs> a weird, weird, weird thing and very, you know, it just added insult to injury. I was like, okay, this is all crashing, but like, you know, it can't get better than your greatest influence finding you online and reaching out to you to tell you that he likes your music, but it can't get worse than him saying, you know, sorry, kid, can't do anything for you. (laughs) You know? So, yeah. That, I love that. That, but it's, it is that confirmation that like what you're creating in the world of music is good and it's worth continuing when someone like Billy Joel reaches out to you. Yeah. And I I mean, definitely the lesson that I learned from all of that was just that, you know, none of it ever necessarily looks the way you think it's going to look like. And I think that I've resisted that lesson. Um, I've really resisted that lesson, you know, that there's like, just because you get to work with your hero doesn't mean it's going to be like a sublime experience. Mm. And just because your career doesn't develop the way you hoped it would doesn't mean it's not going to be fabulous and wonderful and amazing if you're actually willing to back off and listen to like what the right moves are for you instead of like continuing to pound, pound, pound on like what you think you're supposed to be doing. Oh, I think that's so important. And sometimes we do that in relationships. You know, we have this idea of the perfect wedding or the perfect courtship or whatever. And when it doesn't work out like that, then we think, oh, maybe this isn't the right person because it's not what I had in my mind already. (laughs) You know, and we like screw ourselves up that way. So that's a really good point. So I was just wondering, like when you did that piece of paper, which I thought was really great, like, okay, the things that are the most fun, the things that make you money, what were the things that came up during that that were related to your songwriting and singer songwriter career that you found from that exercise besides the the voiceover thing which ended up being kind of like a side hustle that maybe kept you in the game like what were the singer songwriter related things i am not even really sure like i'm and i don't even know if there are if there were things on there because i knew i loved writing but so far writing hadn't made me a lot of money and i knew that I loved performing under certain circumstances, but I also really hated performing under certain circumstances <laughs> too. Um, you know, those circumstances being things like, wow, I just drove all the way out to Rhode Island to play in this ridiculous dive bar that my music absolutely won't go over well. And it's like, I am so in the wrong place. Why did they book me? And why did I say yes? You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, yeah, as far as singer songwriter things, I think there wasn't too much on that list at the time, which is why it felt it didn't break my heart to take a minute and kind of like pursue a different direction. 
You Which know? is what gave you the sign that like, obviously I need to pivot because what I'm doing now is just going to burn me out and frustrate me. Right. And so you probably don't play those dive bars anymore. No, I absolutely <laughs> don't. You're totally right. And that is like, you know, I think sometimes, at least for me, the, the people pleaser and the, the opportunist in us wants to say yes to everything. I mean, we just mm-hmm. want to say, you know, what you want me to come play on your street corner? Oh my God, that might be great exposure. Ah. You know? And like, so yeah, I, I have for sure over time slowly kind of like tightened in, focus in and really place a huge priority on the projects I'm actually excited to work on, the people I'm actually excited to work with and, you know, the potential results that I think about, like, what would, what would my life be like if that actually happened? And I think, wow, like that would really be something instead of like, well, okay, that would be more of the same. Yeah. And and that's a good point that you just said the people that you want to work with, because I see you as a connector, a collaborator, you know, someone that has done a lot through just networking with the people that you work with. So, you know, how has the networking and deciding the right kind of people that you're going to work with really, you know, propelled your career over the last 10 years? Well, a lot of that has also been intuition for sure. So, you know, meeting people and um, it's really, it's interesting. And I certainly wish that I could say that I have like this code all cracked and I can <laughs> deliver you guys the magic bullet here. But I have to say that in, in collaboration, for me, the beacon has been ease. Like when I meet somebody or when I speak with someone for the first time and there's kind of like just an easy rapport right off the bat, Nine times out of ten, that relationship ends up being really cool and fun and um, and productive and usually profitable. Whereas when I've chosen to work with people and or hire people who totally make sense on paper, and I interviewed them multiple times, and I just like can't find anything wrong with it, but my gut isn't a hundred percent in, and I hire them anyway. I, I usually end up at least mildly disappointed, you know? So, and that, that goes for everything from PR to um, consultant management. You know, there's all kinds of people out there trying to be like hybrid artist services people now, um, which I have very mixed feelings about, but yeah. So, so to me, it's always been, it's always worked out best when I go with what lights me up and more and more, especially this year, I've, I've placed this huge emphasis on, desire like the the feeling of desire is what is leading me and the feeling you know the little magical fun sparkly feeling you get when you're like ooh i'm excited about that i followed that and so far knock on wood like it is really working out so no i i'm totally on board with that and that's how i feel about anyone i collaborate with as well on any kind of project like i have to look forward to our meetings and not dread them and right. <laughs> be very happy to be associated with them online and not like, oh, please don't tell people about the fact that I'm involved with this project. Right. You know? Totally. So, yeah. It's really, I, I love that ease feeling. I think of it as like feeling light versus heavy. Yes. Mm. Totally. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I know that you've, you've done a lot of projects over the last few years and you've incorporated some really good PR campaigns. You've worked with some people like my friend Ariel Hyatt, who's amazing. Um, have you done any of the PR yourself? Or have you always just tried to pick people like Ariel that you know are just fantastic at what they do? 
we have done most of it ourselves. And while we have hired PR companies at, at, at this time, I think I've hired and or worked with um, pro bono on this one autism song called not so different. We had somebody who actually came on and did it mostly pro bono. Mm-hmm. Um, probably between like three and four actual, like we are hiring you to be a publicist and do the publicity for this project um, and or radio promoters. We've, just hired my first radio promoter last fall. Um, I would say for, for me, and this is only just what it's been so far, but for me so far, doing it myself or doing it ourselves with my small team has been more effective because when we think of something really cool and fun, we just pursue it. So mm. we have less of like a standard operating procedure, which I think just totally gets in the way of results for many companies where they're like, well, it just doesn't work like that. Like you can't just call that person. Like you can't just show up. Um, so for example, I'll give you a quick example. This is not exactly a PR example, but it'll, it'll make the point. So the other night we have this, we have this thing that we're developing with guitar center around women in music and, and conversations with top women in music. And it's, it's a series that I would like to produce and host for guitar centers online presence. And I have decided there are like a few people that I'm really interested in talking to because I personally, as an artist, am interested in talking to them. And I kind of assume, perhaps selfishly, that if I'm interested, probably a bunch of other people are interested. And one of those people is the divine Sarah Bareilles. Mm. And so I'm thinking like, how, like seriously, how am I going to get to Sarah Bareilles? You know, like, don't know her. I don't know her management. I know she is signed by Paradigm and Paradigm is my agent for voiceover, but the music and voiceover departments are really different. Anyway, my friend and co-producer, Tony, reaches out to me a couple of weeks ago and says, hey, she's going to be here in New York doing a Screen Actors Guild conversation after a screening of Jesus Christ Superstar. We need to go to this thing, which we could sign up and go to for free as Screen Actors Guild members. And he's like, we got to go because you need to talk to her about this. So I say yes. And I think to myself, you know, the doubting voice in my head is like, please, like, yeah, okay. I'm just going to like go to this thing and then walk up to her. her. Because, you know, she has all the time in the world for, you know, me and the 200 other people in the room. (laughs) So I'm thinking all this, you know, negative, whatever. And this was like a couple nights ago. And um, the afternoon of, I just decided, I was like, is that really me? Like, am I really going to do, I'm really going to just keep battering myself in the situation with this negative talk about how it's not going to work out. And I was like, no, actually I'm, I'm not, I'm going to decide that she's going to say yes. That's it. She's going to say yes. And once I had decided that she was going to say yes, I realized that I needed to figure out what I'd actually say to her if I (laughs) did get some time. Um, so I, literally set a timer for two minutes, which was probably kind of generous, but like I set this timer and I made myself figure out like a very clear, calm, compelling pitch that I would make if I had this very short amount of time to speak with her. We go to the event, we get out of the event, we go to the stage door and wait there. She comes out and I totally had this conversation with her. And like, she passed me off to her manager who was there, got the manager's phone number, email in my phone. They're like, we're interested. It's just totally a matter of time. Like, you know, if we can do this when she's around. So like, how insane is that? That, you know, so I guess the point is that whether it's a press agent or a radio promoter, 
I think a lot of artists think that like they need that person, but really the reason you want a press agent or the reason you want a radio promoter is because you want to be on certain radio stations and you want to be in certain press outlets. And like you can, if you're willing to, to put in the time and energy to formulate a compelling and professional approach, like you can approach those outlets yourself. You don't have to go through a third party. Yeah, you totally can. And you have to have the like nerves of steel to go back to them three or four times. And, you know, I admit like I've done this to PR agents before. Mm -hmm. I've like just had not had enough time to respond to them. And they've had to come back to me four and five times to get somebody on my show. And like, I'm not like, I think that's terrible that I did that. But sometimes, you know, things just happen. Like I'm too busy and that's not number one on my plate. And as artists, you have to be okay with like, I'm not irritating this person. They're just busy, you know, because I think mm-hmm. PR agents, they're used to that. So they do it. And I think artists are, are scared to do that. Would you agree? I would. And I think, I mean, I can say it with absolute, you know, deep personal experience with it because, you know, for me, what I identified was that, you know, partially due to many, many, many prior rejections, I have, I walk into these situations with so many layers of Mm. guard up. And the biggest guard that I think is hard for us to see sometimes is that we've already decided that they're going to say no so that we can be right. You know, Mm. because as long as they say no, then we can just prove that we're right. That's how it goes. You know, the business sucks and it's just everybody says no. And it really is like just so hard. And isn't it hard to be an artist? And it's like, yeah, okay. So how are you going to handle your shit when they say yes? Mm. Like, I think that is actually what we're scared of. And, you know, this is not new news that we're scared of success, but, um, but it really like got super real for me (laughs) the other day when I was like, Oh, I'm just afraid that she's going to say yes. And I'm actually going to have to do what I say I want to do. Like, and then I'm going to have to do it well and I'm going to have to do it professionally and she's going to like show Mm -hmm. up and I'm going to have a conversation with her and interview this human who I think is so remarkable, like that's actually going to happen now, most likely. And I have to do it. (laughs) That's, I'm a little scared. I'm not going to lie. Oh no, that's, that's great. And I think, (laughs) I think that's really helpful for people listening that you do, you have to be, you have to be ready for the chance that they will say yes. And I think we do kind of sell, we totally self-sabotage because it's just more comfortable to be in like the us versus them mode of like, like you said, the business sucks. We're musicians, we're peons, you know, we have to spend way too much money on PR agents and they have all the connections, you know, just these ideas that we Right. right? So I love yeah. that. So I got to ask you, since you mentioned the radio promoter, you hired your first radio promoter in the fall and I'm assuming to promote your Christmas album. Yes. And it did quite well, like chart wise. So do you feel like that was a worthwhile investment? Would you do it again? Do you recommend that? And like, where do you think artists should be before they do something like that? Sure. So the holiday record, Holiday Magic, um, we charted via, uh, mostly via our pre-sales, which were done through Pledge Music. Mm. Um, so actually, while the radio promotion campaign um, theoretically went quite well. We had reports from this radio promoter that we had gotten on a lot of different stations. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, we were not able to procure spin reports that actually backed that up. So I don't actually, I mean, I wouldn't recommend this particular 
radio promoter that we worked with purely because he just couldn't give us any hard evidence that what he was that saying. That is frustrating. Through. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, and look, I'm not I'm not going to say that he was lying. I don't I actually don't think he was. I just think that like when you get paid to produce results and then you cannot actually prove that it happened. Like you're saying you got played on this station and this station and this station, but like you can't pull up anything that shows when those spins happened. Um, you Shouldn't know, you theoretically be able to see that in your PRO statements eventually? Absolutely. Of course. You know, but I mean, I probably not, if, if it even shows up, like if for instance, these spins were um, logged, you know, if they were picked up by BDS or whoever's picking things up these days. Um, you know, I'm not going to see that until fall. Right. You know, I won't see that until later anyway. So, you know, I, I'd love to be pleasantly surprised, but, um, yeah, I mean, it was another example of, um, a time when we really did our research. We really did our homework. We interviewed this person really hard and I don't think we made a mistake in hiring per se, but I, yeah, exactly what you said. It's super frustrating that at the end of the day, I can't say, you know, here's what we did and here's what it yielded. All I can say is like, here's what we did and here's what he says it yielded. <laughs> you know, you know, it's it's interesting because I, I get so many artists that say to like, say like, oh, Facebook ads, they're a waste of money and you know, that kind of thing. But I'm a proponent of them because you, you know exactly what you're getting. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. See, okay, these people engaged. These people actually went to my website. Like you see real clicks and you know exactly how much those cost you. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's, that's just, that's kind of why I'm a fan of, of ads like that because you know, and there aren't many other platforms where, I mean, PR is the same way. Like it's, it's nebulous whether you actually got your money's worth out of that thing or not. And if, you got the press. Did that really bring people to your website and, and have them buy your music? So yeah, it's, it's hard. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to figure out what you should spend your money on as an artist for sure. Definitely. So let's talk about crowdfunding because you, I obviously interviewed you for the Profitable Musician Summit because of your multiple crowdfunding experiences. So I'd love to know just kind of like, what are your three biggest tips slash they could be tips or they could be like biggest don'ts that you would tell artists about your crowdfunding experience overall? Sure. One of the biggest, biggest tips I have is make your crowdfund about exclusive access. So what I mean by that is people who contribute to you should be getting something that you actually really cannot get anywhere else. So, Mm. you know, you shouldn't be, uh, offering that, that lunch date with you to like anybody who will, who will pay, you know, you should only be offering it to like people that are actually going to pay the money into your crowdfund to get it. Also, as far as music or videos or whatever it is that you are crowdfunding, you want to keep the focus on, exclusive access to that process. You know, like people really want to know what it takes to make this stuff, what it's like to be in the process of making it, um, you know, getting that behind the scenes look at studios, collaboration, on set time. So you want to give them that. And that takes actually quite a bit of planning to make sure that you're capturing enough content that you can give them. Uh, so that's kind of the first tip I'd say. 
one of my biggest don'ts, and I say this, you know, for myself as well as anybody else is just don't think that posting a thousand times on social media or like sending out a hundred email blasts is going to be what gets you the crowdfunding success. I mean, I guess if you have, if you already have uh, a much higher number of fans, so your ratio can be much smaller. So, you know, let's say you have a hundred thousand fans and only 1% of them, <laughs> 1000 people give you some money. You're probably going to end up with, you know, at least like some money. At least so, $1,000. Right. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Right. Like you're going to end up with something that's maybe more respectable, but like, so if you're just, if you're starting out or if you're kind of a mid-level artist, I think, you know, the don't is don't expect social media to do the work for you. And the do is do expect that when you offer people personally, the opportunity to become involved in this project and to support you in creating and in achieving your creations that people will respond very favorably. So rather than being afraid to reach out personally and being resistant to picking up the phone, look at it as like if you were like if you were calling somebody to invite them to like the coolest party that you've ever thrown, you'd be calling them figuring they're going to be excited, you know, mm. like figuring that they're going to say yes cuz you know, you're sure that you're offering offering a really cool opportunity. Like that's what you want to be doing with your crowdfund is just knowing that you're offering a really cool opportunity here. So some people may say yes, some people may say no, but really, you know, get into that mindset of feeling like, yeah, I'm really, I'm really offering something cool here. And people are, people are going to say, yes, they're going to be excited. I guess my, my last tip would be to plan it in advance. Cause once you get started with the process of the crowdfund, it's quickly, it can quickly become overwhelming to manage everything you feel you need to manage. Um, especially when you feel like the deadline is closing in. So for this, I, I recommend Arielle Hyatt's book, Crowdstart, which is a phenomenal step-by-step -step guide that will take you through everything you need to do to plan a crowdfund starting, you know, six to eight weeks before it even launches. And that is, it's really, it's really gold. So we've used it. Uh, we use it for holiday magic and, um, it's just, I think it's the best thing I've read as far as preparing for crowdfunding. Yeah, I'll completely agree with you on that one for sure. So I know we, we talked that uh, you, have an, you have a training with women in music right after we did this interview. <laughs> so I did want to ask you, like, what's your involvement with women in music? And what do you think needs to change in the music industry for women still in 2019? Sure. Um, so I am the global co-chair of membership for women in music. So that means that I interface with all of our members and potential members for women in music, which is a national and now international nonprofit that exists to um, advance and serve women in the music industry. And we do that with a combination of events and on-site programming in most of our uh, major cities, including New York, LA, Nashville, Chicago, Atlanta, Miami, and some internationally. And also online networking and trainings for our members. So what do I think needs to change in the industry for women? We just had a panel on this here in New York. And um, the, the things that came up the most or that stood out the most to me were 
some of them are externally driven. Like for instance, of course, you know, it's so frustrating and insane to see, um, to see us making 25% less than men on the dollar, you know, like what the heck, but more than that, I think what needs to shift is a a sense of internal self-worth and a sense of collective collaborative empowerment among women. So, you know, dropping the competitive stuff and looking at each other as our greatest allies. That's what really stood out to me was that there were so many people in the room who reported feeling like they didn't know how to value themselves as far as like when somebody says, how much do you expect to make in this position? And they're like, oh my gosh, I I don't mean, I don't even know how I would Mm. figure that out. So yeah, I mean, to me, that's the, and, and especially with the Me Too stuff, I, I mean, having been through some of that myself, I know now on the other side of it that the thing that ended up making the difference for me was shifting into a space where I valued myself so much and enough that I didn't need the attention or the you know, promises of some guy to validate my talent. Um, and, and it really like, that was the big shift for me was to be like, Oh, well now no, nobody is even going to come into my space trying to sexually harass me to, you know, tell me that they're going to help my career. And, you know, if only I, uh, you know, do this whatever intimate thing with them, like, it's just not, not going to happen for me because I am no longer open for business. You know, mm. <laughs> I could just, but that was an internal shift. That was not, you know, the guys are not going to change. Like that's, that was me who had to change. Yeah, for sure. And I love that you're talking about, you know, banding together and, and not being competitive with that, with each other. And I've seen a lot of stuff lately come through on my Google alerts of women in music and this whole, like, you know, not trying to compete with each other and, and helping each other, which I think is really important. Obviously what women in music is about and obviously what you're about with the initiatives that you're doing and what I'm doing. So I really love all of that that you're doing. So I want to give you a chance to tell us real quick about your new EP and any new initiatives that you have associated with that. Sure. So we have an EP out called Onward, and we just put out a music video called You Never Told Me. Um, And this song, You Never Told Me, is really about moving beyond the boundaries that we've placed on ourselves, uh, mostly based on what we learned early in life. So basically like breaking, breaking our own rules, you know, breaking these rules that we've been living by that maybe aren't serving us. So this song led to creating what we're calling hashtag break your boundaries, which is a a conversation really. And um, so the event I just mentioned from women in music was a break your boundaries event. And um, so we're, we're now going out and creating these conversations with women around where are we facing challenges and boundaries? Where have we faced boundaries? How have we broken through them? And where do we still have to go? The question you just asked, you know, like what is still there for us to break through? So it's just something that I'm really interested in as a woman and as an artist um, and as someone in the music industry. And this is part of this initiative that we're, working on with Guitar Center and with multiple other colleges and other organizations. So people can definitely stay tuned for, um, you know, more Break Your Boundaries events. And um, if you want to join the conversation, most certainly please connect with 
uh, with me, I'm sort of, you know, like the figurehead of it, but we're expanding it to work with many organizations. So that's, that's really what's up with Onward and with You Never Told Me and Break Your Boundaries. Now, do, can they follow the hashtag Break Your Boundaries and then would they see stuff related to that? Yeah. I mean, if you go on Twitter and put in hashtag Break Your Boundaries, you will probably see some tweets from our last Women in Music event. Um, there's no official page for it. So, you know, to, to keep up with everything happening, you'd probably just want to follow me on, um, you know, wherever you are on social, on Twitter or Instagram well, or Facebook. Here's a good segue. So I definitely want you to <laughs> let them know how they can find you online. Okay. Um, well, musically, of course, the, the main thing, you can find Cassandra Kabinsky on Spotify and on iTunes and uh, on Pandora. If you'd like to make a Cassandra Kabinsky channel, they'll play you things that sound like me. Um, and on socials, I am at Cassandra Kubinski on Facebook and Instagram, and I'm at Cassandra Cub, K-U-B, on Twitter. Perfect. I was going to have you spell your name, but now you don't have to because it's A-U-B-I-N-S-K-I. So. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been so fantastic. I really appreciate all your insights in your years in the music business and just how you've like broken through those boundaries, right? Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Bree. It's it, what you're offering here with the summit is just incredible. I mean, the access is just unbelievable. So it's such an honor to be a part of it. And I'm really looking forward to, um, you know, connecting with your fans and with this community. Absolutely. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson. <laughs>